Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is Letters to My Son, and our guest today is Mitch Carmody, author, artist, and photographer. His book, Letters to My Son, is about the loss of his nine-year-old son, Kelly, who died in 1987 after a long battle with cancer. During the months that followed Kelly's death, Mitch wrote letters and poems to him as a catharsis for his grief. It is a book about love, faith, and being a better person, and it is straight from the heart. Mitch conducts workshops for the bereaved all over the country and is a keynote speaker and workshop presenter on grief and the process of recovery. Helping others is paramount in Mitch's life. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Oh, thank you very much. Hi, Mitch. It's great Hi. to have you on the show. Oh, it's great to be on. Well, I've just really enjoyed your book. It's really wonderful, and we'll be talking to our audience how to get it. And the picture of your son on the front is, wow, very compelling. What a lovely boy. No, his eyes were pretty blue. People would stop and look at them. <laughs> oh, really wonderful. Could you talk a little bit about the book in context of uh, your son's life and um, why you wrote it, and also tell us about him? Oh, sure. Well, yeah, he was, you know, he had developed cancer when he was about seven years old. And, you know, uh, when you're taken to the emergency room and you don't know what's going on, you think he's, you know, the child is just sick. And from right. throwing up and, and find out he has a brain tumor, you're, everything changes, awesome. you know. And that's truly when the journey began is knowing that your child could die. And yeah. Well, Mitch, before you before you get in, for you, that isn't where the journey began exactly, is it, as far as this field goes of grief and loss or for, as far as the experience of yeah, loss of grief and loss? Yeah, we were struck by that because, uh, I mean, we were struck by all the loss that you've had and we had to really go through it a couple of times to get it in chronological order. Yes, it was. Um, well, let, let me double run this path. I'm going to... Talk about the loss and tell me if I'm right. At 15, your father died of a heart attack. Correct, yes. Your yes. twin sister died 11 days after your 29th birthday in an automobile accident in which your two nephews were also killed. Correct. Uh, two years prior to that, your disabled brother died mm-hmm. um, of poor health. And then, uh, yeah, I guess that's that's it, right? Yes. That's, have, that's yeah. so much. It's, yeah, it's just, it was just right after the other, you know. I mean, by my 15, it was like, you know, like I lost... I lost my future friend. I was just learning. My sisters had a friend in my dad, you know, and, and I was just, you know, the kid, you know, and I was looking forward to having a relationship. And, and at 15, um, I, my mother told me to, well, you're the man of the family. Now you got to take care of everybody in the farm and the horses and your sisters. And and, uh, and I was the youngest, <laughs> but I was the man. So she said, you know, so I didn't cry. I put it away and and, and did not grieve for my father. Mm-hmm. And which really reared its head many, 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 many years later, um, where I because I, I did not because I did not grieve over him. I just put it away and didn't cry. Big boys don't cry. You had a father die when you were fifteen, and you were telling us that I guess you were on a farm and being the only boy, and even though you were the youngest, you were expected to kind of take over for everybody and be the man. Yes. And then you had a disabled brother who a retarded brother. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 Yeah, who died, and then your twin sister. Um, years later. Yeah, a few years, two years later. Yep. 
on your what your 29th birthday was killed in an automobile accident. 11 days after. 11 yeah. days after we just okay. yeah. She said I'm staying 28 forever. <laughs> on her yeah, exactly. And, and we I you know I it, that haunted me afterwards when she had said that. Oh, she really did say she that. She did. Yeah, we had our, our last birthday and she goes, "Well, you can be turned 29, but I'm staying 28 forever." Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, oh. It was just so when that happened, and then I, I thought, well, you know, I, I really tried to embrace the grief. I mean, it was, and, but it was a very uh, born again Christian type of service. And, and then you did hospice work. So there was, so I, yeah, that's why I went to hospice. They wouldn't let right. me because you had to wait a year. So then I did hospice, and and because um, I figured I had a handle on. But you also that. had your support from the hospice people. But you could stay competent. I'm a therapist, and I was at that time, and I remember trying to stay competent. Mm-hmm. You know, really fighting to stay, stay there. Oh, right. and it's tough. And it's tough. I mean, when I, when my son then was diagnosed, and, and yeah, now tell us how tell our audience how long after that, after your sister died, and then you did hospice work, and then what? It was about two, two years after okay. my sister died. Then and I remember I, you said you were coming home from graduation from hospice. From hospice, and then I find my meet my wife going the other way. Then our son has on the way to the hospital because he was seeing double and throwing up, and and so we found out he had a brain tumor, and I had no idea that I was going into hospice for my own son, which which it, it, it taught me a lot to be able to prepare for that, but I had no idea that I'd be having to prepare for that. Isn't that, uh, and, yeah, and immaculately even to when, prepared. To, I have to, to when, in reference to my father, in order to process the grief for my son when it when it happened, I mean, it was, the enormity of my sister and her two boys was just, um, I, I could not you know, handle it. I mean, we just kind of didn't believe it happened because it was an accident. They were gone. There was no review. There was no caskets. There was no burial. It was just like they disappeared off the planet. So it was really difficult to try to... So her husband chose not to do anything? Yes. That was just their religious beliefs. And, oh, okay. and, and so it was, you know, it was just like they disappeared. And there was, right. you know, I don't like the word closure, but there was no... There was nothing. There was well, no... A lot of my 9-11 families have this issue because they didn't have a body. Yeah, there was nothing there. You yeah, know, it just and that does make a difference. And mm-hmm. and with my t- when my son died, then in order to process that grief, I just I was just so beside myself. I could I had a lump in my throat. I couldn't get rid of it. I had to go to a rebirth or two. And I, long story short, uh, went grieved for my father during that that during that process. And and I screamed so loud and it hurt so bad. But I started feeling better after I finally let that horrible anguish out for my father. Then I could deal adequately with my, as best I could, with the loss of my son. That's mm-hmm. interesting. So you had to go back and deal with the death of your father first. Yes, I could not speak. I had a lump in my throat that would not go away. And so when I, medical, nothing would help. So I finally went to a rebirther and thought maybe that would do it. And it did. It rid the lump went away. You know, it's holding that grief in, and my and you know my throat chakra or whatever. You know, I finally let it out, and it, it was it, cathartic. Yeah, it was very cathartic, and and so that's when when my son died. I believe that you know that there is life after death on both sides of the equation for them and for us. And I truly believe that I could communicate with him and I could write to him. And so I thought I'm not going to grieve like my mother said, "Honey, why are you still into this grief stuff? Well, just put it away, put it behind you." She had had a lot of losses, and that was the way she handled it. Put it away, how, put it behind you. How Don't. long after your father died did she say that to you? After my father died? Yeah. Well, she didn't know. No, was, when did you, it wasn't even talked about when my father died, but when oh. my son died, she goes, why are, you oh, still she hanging, <laughs> why are you still hanging on to these grief issues? Why are you still involved in this, honey? Just put it behind you. Oh, my and I goodness. said, Mom, I can't walk by his picture anymore and not 
see him there. I have to have him by my side again. I need to bring him back. So I, after months and months and months of grieving the way my mom did, which was just putting it away and not mentioning his name, I immersed myself into his life and his pictures, and I made a video, and, and, and I shared it with everybody that, that, that to, to let them know that I, this is not over. I am still in deep grief. Uh-huh. And you were maintaining a bond with him. And keeping his memory alive. In his yes, life. and talking to yeah. him. And in doing that, it felt so good to write him a letter and, and, and just talk to him about how I'm feeling. And, and, and that's in the one letter I, I'll probably read for you. Why don't I, you read it for us right now? Okay, I can do that because that leads up that now letter. let me say, this is a wonderful book, Letters to My Son. This is Mitch Carmody, and this is from his book, Letters to My Son, A Journey Through Grief. And, and he's going to read us. Uh, a letter from that, and then we're going to ask him to tell us how to get a hold of this great book. Okay. Well, it's, this is this first letter I wrote to him. And dear Kelly, it has been almost three months since you have left us, and I miss you terribly at times. Mm-hmm. I replay your last few days over and over and over. I feel that I should have or could have done more. I knew your time was very close, but then again, I didn't really know how close. It is hard to see you degenerate so quickly, feeling impotent to change the devastating progression moving throughout your body. You were barely speaking, and I sometimes wondered if you knew what was going on. I know you did not want to talk about death, and I understand why. You wanted to live each moment without the realization of the shadow of death that was so obviously imminent. When you did make your transition, you looked so happy and at peace. It took a lot of guts and strength with pure love to wait for your sister Megan to come home before you left. You really did love her a lot, didn't you? I know she misses you a lot, although she is enjoying the attention that she now gets that you are not the center of our universe. Your funeral, I'm sure you saw, was breathtaking. It touched all that were present and will for years to come. You've gathered quite a faithful following, my son, and have changed many lives in your short term here. You must be resting for quite a while after such a long battle. I am looking forward to a visit from you so much. I don't want to try too hard, but I'm always ready when you are up to it, old buddy. I remember our short little walks around the snow and ice of that awful townhouse. Those walks were precious to me, son, and it does hurt to think about it. I remember with joy our trip to North Carolina when you wanted to see Grandma for one last time. I know it was something you had to do before you left. I'm so glad, glad you did it, and you did so well out there. We had a non-existent Christmas without you, pal. It seems like I slept through it with a vague dream. I'm sure your Christmas was much better, more of a birthday party, which reminds me of how glad I was to have had your birthday party months before you left. I loved your message of the signature you left in the pew at the church with the I'm Alive song on the radio after the funeral you arrange for us to hear. Very subtle. Now get back to the code word with somebody, Turkey. I hope you were happy with the shadow box I made for Mom from you. I felt guided by you to do it. It was symbolizing the moment of separation for your body as your spirit flew up to the rainbow to unite with God. I wanted to keep your healing stone in a safe place, so I kept it inside. Your mom is hurting quite a bit now, son. Visit her soon and wrap your arms around her and let her gaze into your beautiful blue eyes. Then get to Meg and finally to me, Bubba. How do you like our new house? It's a beautiful with a pond and everything. You would have loved it here. I know. Without, We are trying to do the best we can to rebuild our lives without you and try to find happiness and joy again. I love your mother and sister very, very much and will do anything to make them happy. But I still long to be with you. I think this new house is a good idea and we shall heal faster with it. I'm glad that you can now play with your dog, Maple, again. He has joined you recently. You've seen Grandma and Grandpa Carmody as well as Grandma and Grandpa Woolers. I, I bet you've even seen Aunt Sandy and chat with your cousins, Travis and Jason. I'm feeling pretty good now, Kelly. <laughs> God, after three months I say that. <laughs> I can freely, and now it is no reflection on my love for you. 
I just know you are where it really is at, and we have to come home to you. But until that day, please visit me as I miss you so much. If you can arrange for a sign like this in the spring, like something growing from our yard, that would be really neat. And I will notice. I will write again later sometime. Know that I love you and still need your love, Dad. Ah, that's wonderful. Very, Very touching. Beautiful. You know, there's so many things in that uh, letter, Mitch, that come mm-hmm. up for me. One of them is the desire to rejoin the child, which many of us, uh, many of our listeners worry about, you know, wh- where we would like to be united. Yeah. And that's a normal thing. Some people, yes, it is. you know, get concerned about that. The other I, thing I, I love you. It's, it's normal for a sibling, yeah. too. I wanted to rejoin my brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oh, the, you do. The the continuing bonds thing, the you know, building a shadow box, mm-hmm. uh, looking for a sign, all those all those wonderful things. It's and also the comfort in knowing that there's other people that have that have died as well in your family that are with him. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and and to know that they are yeah they are together and right. that um, that we can communicate. That was what's so important about this this letter is that he did get back to me with something in the yard. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, the the opening where you're saying I'm available, I'm open, uh, I'll listen for signs and and I'll watch, and the, those kinds of things are really wonderful. You know, uh, it's going to be time for our break right now. But before we go to break, I wanted to ask t- you to tell you the listeners how they can get a hold of your book. Uh, just uh, through my studio at Heartlight Studio. Dot and studios, plural, dot net. Never intended to write a book. I just wrote his letters and put them away. And then when I reread the seven letters over about a period of a year, and I saw that at the first letter was three months, I'm doing okay. Then on the sixth letter, I couldn't get out of bed for three days and realized that depression is real. I Reality used to laugh at people. I thought it was in yeah. their head. I was really, yeah. I, I was totally depressed and realized this is real. And I, and it was just horrifying that six months down the road that, that I'm going to be continuing to feel this way. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I realized that the stages of grief are not as, as they've been, you know, ta- as we've been taught. You know, they're just right. all over the map. And then I had to reevaluate how I was grieving and, 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 and do it all over again the way I wanted to, which was keeping a relationship. Uh-huh. And that's so, so important because if, you, if you're wed to the stages of grief and you believe in them, then you think something's wrong with you if you're not in the right stage at the right time. Right, yeah, yeah. You think that, well, what, you know, what are they doing right or what am I doing wrong? Or right. when, when you realize that it's just, it, you know, every day is a denial when you open your eyes. Mm-hmm. You when know, you open your eyes, I think it's sometimes the hardest. Because every like, morning. Oh every God, morning you go real. through it. Yeah. And, you know, after now 20 years, I don't have denial in the morning. I mean, because, I, I, in fact, my daughter was just pregnant, just, just had a baby, and she, everybody said, are you going to name it Kelly? And she says, no, Kelly's still with us. <laughs> she was so used to having Kelly around his name being talked and everything that she said that would be weird, Dad. You know, I was just saying uh, during break that um, you're kind of the king of continuing bonds. I mean, tell, tell them about your twin sister who got killed in the automobile accident about the purse. Oh yes. Well, when my sister was killed in the accident, and then I, I saved his sister, her. His twin sister was killed two years before his son died in an automobile accident. For those that are just tuning in, with her two sons. With her two sons, and then she left the twins at home. And since the twins are at home, it was my. I felt my responsibility. I'm going to. I'm going to take care of these kids the rest of their life mm-hmm. for my twin sister. And and so as he got remarried and they had a blended family, I I maintained contact. And on the 16th birthday, I gave. Um, my niece, uh, my sister's purse that had her little Bible tracks in it and her mm-hmm. perfume and the big <laughs> hippie uh, pregnant or maternity outfit that she had, a big dress she had on, you know. It was, it was so my sister. And, and to see the look in my niece's eyes when she received that was just, uh, 
I was going to say, what a wonderful gift. It was a wonderful thing. And I remember all those years thinking, you know, I couldn't wait to give it to her, you know. And then finally on her 16th, it happened, and I couldn't believe how fast the time went. And uh-huh. and But I, talked, I went, quickly want to talk about that forgiveness when I, yeah. I, I, I did a Google search of the truck driver that was in oh, the Oh, yeah, accident. we were talking about the, and, uh, uh, earlier on about how hard it is to forgive. And what, and, your, a truck driver hit your sister. Right, the big truck driver full of tractor trailers and, okay. and tractors. And it just, it, and I, we didn't know what happened. Why did, why did she die and her, two, and her two sons die? And then the, the passenger woman and the two, her and her son both lived. And the, the, the adults were in the front, the kids were in the back. I, why did God pick, you know, we had all these questions. Why, 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 right, them and not. And so I called the truck driver. And basically, too, I wanted to let him know that my sister was a terrible driver. She smoked, she talked, and, and she didn't get her license until she was 23. And we, no one wanted her to get her license. <laughs> and so I, after all these years, I felt comfortable to, to Google him. I got his number. And I said, I just want to let you know that I've never, ever blamed you. And I didn't know if you held that in that you. And he said he was in therapy for several years because he killed three people and yeah, and right. he, he was so so happy that i called him and 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 let him know that i never blamed him but yet in case you thought i blamed you i forgive you what a great gift to give him but oh. the fact that you waited 20 years i think is more common is is i mean people take a long time before they get to that place where they can talk, like yeah, I can talk about easily, and and right. and also it helped me to find out what happened. That he told me exactly what happened, you know, in, in the whole accident, and it, it was out of his control. He tried to stop the brakes, to pull the everything. Her car just crossed the center line and went right underneath his wheels. He did nothing right. he could do. Right. So, well, was, now get into this anger a little bit because in the book you mentioned that you tried all these alternative treatments for your son, which um, you went to Mexico, you did all this. He had a remission. But uh, when he did come out of remission again, uh, or I don't know if it was after he died, but you said that you were all really angry. You were angry with God. You were angry with the doctors. You were angry with yes. the people who said, uh, talk about that anger. for Well, because we had been promised so much, you know, that, that and when Kelly had surgery and he had, had an out-of-body experience and, and he met Jesus and floating in the ceiling and he, and, and he said, you will be well. And I said, why did he say that? And then when we were in church in his, or down in Mexico and his tumor disappeared by a service down there and he, and he, we lived another three, four months without. Yeah, you, you know, actually came up to Western Medical Care and they said it was gone. It was gone? Yeah. So they came back to Minnesota. Oh my God, the tumor disappeared. And those, the ladies in Mexico said, your, your son will, his message of his healing will be all across the land. And so now with my book and my speaking, it is, and I realize that there's a big difference between a healing and a cure. He was healed. But it was not a cure. I mean, and talk about a roller coaster ride. Oh yeah. Now, what I mean, about your anger? How do, what happened with that? Well, the anger. I was. Just, I, I, I mean, for our audience, what can mm-hmm. they do? What, what we've yeah. got people channel it into something. Channel it into something, and that's that's the positive part of keeping them alive in your life. Is that is when you give, you receive. And I finally said, what can I do to channel this energy, this anger that I have? And I and um, so I now, started. How, how long are we talking about? Because as you said, you wrote those letters, you realized you couldn't even get out of bed right. after how many months? Because we're talking to people who are into this. I mean, our audience are. Oh, that the first first year, first two years mm-hmm. for me were just horrible. Mm-hmm. And so I can't, I'm not sure where the anger and every, you know, where it finally, but in that, end of that second and year. You were when dealing I, with your dad's death when you were 15, your yeah, brother's and death. Yeah, dealing all those little pieces. Your death, yeah. And then when I started. Uh, and your son's death. 
doing massage for AIDS people. Then I realized, because I, I learned massage to help my son, I said, what can I do with this? And I saw an ad for looking for somebody to do free massage for people with AIDS. And, and so I did that, and that's when I started feeling human again. I started feeling, you know, I'm, I'm feeling good. I mean, I'm, I'm helping someone else. Because and, you're giving back to somebody else. Yes, and that, and that felt so good. So I started doing... Well, maybe I do this more to help everybody, open doors, give people parking spots, and pretty soon it, it just became a lifestyle. And I'm not telling you I'm a goody two shoes, but I mean it. Re- it really right. makes me feel it's a ripple effect, and everybody, everybody starts benefiting. You know, if mm-hmm. you if you just try, and that's because you can't escape the the, the the facts that their loved one is gone. But we can, and who else is going to keep them alive besides us who love them the most? And it and, sounds like the more you did, the more you wanted to. Do more you want to yes yeah. oh totally yes and that's why i like to speak and and, and travel and, and 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 talk and to, to yes this is not the end of the road if you just sit in the in a pit of, of despair forever which, which you might do which you might do and you way. want to we understand and it's not and crazy you sit, and you are crazy <laughs> yeah you can sit there as long as you want it's up to you there's no timetable on grief you just you, you just work it as you know you look for help and the more you start helping others it just that's the yeah. simplest thing if i that i can say is just helping others but it's hard beginning when you can't help others you, you, you gotta help yourself yeah. first right, right. but you can't fill someone else's cup unless your cup is full At so least you, have to, you have to let your cup start to fill up and so you can overflow yeah. to others uh, that's one of the things i say about the compassionate friends or another organization you can find one where you can give some service it doesn't have to be a lot at first. You may just bring a cookie or make a phone call or write a note or, you know, uh, move a chair, you know, straighten chairs for them or something, but mm-hmm. it's the beginning. But, and I like what Mitch said. Again, you can't fill somebody else's cup unless yours is full. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just can't. I mean, it because then you'll get sick yourself. But and the it, other it, thing is, Mitch, don't you think you need to let other people have the opportunity to serve you? Mm, that's good. I like that point. That's the hardest thing that I had mm-hmm. to learn. It was accepting, you know, and I and here I'm touting that when you give, you receive, and but so I had to learn. I had to allow other people to give to me so that they can receive as well. And that 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 is that is the hardest thing for me was to to learn to accept because so many people wanted to do things for us mm-hmm. initially, you know. But after the after the first year, that that you know that that dwindled down. So I that's another thing I really try to tell people in their grief or people that are supporting people in their grief is to remember anniversary day. I don't mean like the word anniversary date, but the calendar day that they died mm-hmm. and um it to with cards and with and to, to keep it up through the years. It's a it's a lifetime process. And that's what I think the difference between my sister and my chi- and, and my dad and my child is that the, my with my son it's just it's a never ending. I just it's like it's learning to be the new normal you hear the new normal but right. if you read anything about eric erickson and the seven or eight stages of man and the development of man from child to adult if you reread those and look at like the five years when the child learns autonomy again that's in five years there's a benchmark that i started learning autonomy again. i was being myself and it took five years to do that and i realized that it is a lifelong journey of, of a new normal you are a new person nothing looks the same no. that's what i was wondering being a bereaved sibling myself what differences you saw between the death of a sibling and a child I could learn with my sister. She loved Jesus. She wanted to be with Jesus so bad. And, I mean, so for her, dying was... It was, it was something that she wanted to, to join with Jesus. And, and so knowing that she was happy in the place that she needed to be and wanted to be, I didn't have a lot of 
I, I had a pain of missing her, but I did not have a pain of her of her being totally wronged because that is what she wanted totally in life. She, was, to, she lived 29 years. I mean, that's still young, but... But still, she lived a full life. She had children. Right. She had uh, grandchildren. I'm, I mean, her uh, the children that I'm enjoying now is this. He calls me his father. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he sends me Father's Day cards. And, and so that was the difference, that I could that I could accept her loss. Where my son, I cannot accept that he's gone. I just have to, I, I learn to accept it, but there's no total acceptance. There is no total closure. I can get, I have closure and on that he cannot, that he will not graduate. I have closure that he can't get a girlfriend, but I'll never have closure on his life. And you won't have a daughter-in-law? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, I was all those, that, um, you know, that I won't have a daughter-in-law. And grandchildren from him? None of, yes. And that's my, now when I have a grandchild with my, in fact, when now my daughter had a grandchild, part of my heart warmed up, but where I didn't think it could feel that way again. I I thought I had reached a certain level in my 20 years of grief that I had just, I have, you know, you're not going to experience the joy as you ever did again to quite to the extent as I did before. Well, I would highly recommend that you get this book, um, Mitch's book, and you can get him through his website. Um, give us your website again, Mitch. Heartlightstudios.net. And also, you can pick this book up uh, on Google. I mean, on uh, Amazon, and, and any bookstore can order it. They, okay. you know, they just don't stock it on the shelves. Okay, I highly recommend you get it. It's a lovely book with some lovely poetry and uh, letters, and um, we, it, it would be a nice addition to your library. So, Heidi, uh, we were talking about siblings, right? You were kind of leading the charge here. I was just wondering, being a brief sibling, about the differences, and Mitch kind of touched touched on some of them, and I guess one of my thoughts also is, Mitch, you know, I was someone that had the death of my brother, and it has been the most horrific death I've ever been through, and um, so my experience was that it was huge, and it overtook my life, and it was overwhelming initially. For you, you'd had so many losses, and then lost your son in a relatively short time period after your sister, and I just wondered if you think that impacted how you grieved also. Yeah, yes, it did because I. Um, not only did he die, but he he you know was diagnosed so so quickly after my sister right. died. So we had to you know put all our focus on saving his life, and mm-hmm. I did not have time to grieve for my sister. I did not have time. I just I had to focus on my son only. And so right. I, I, every situation is so different. And. Right. Um, her siblings, and as my brother was retarded his whole life, and and we actually had an old-fashioned Irish wake where we went to the bar and we and we celebrated that he finally was free of being incarcerated in this mental hospital his whole life. Back in those days, it was not a pleasant experience. And I like that. Yeah. So I that, like that idea of celebrating his life, and we did. It was great to you know that he was fine. David was finally free of pain and free of of. of being trapped in this body that he couldn't control, and um, so that was that was that was different too. Then my sister was just it was just like she disappeared, and it just took so long. But we I didn't really have time to investigate it until after my son. And so I think I gr- truly grieve for my sister and the boys at the same time as my son. And Mitch, you're making a good point because I think you do compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. Um, when my brother died, my cousin died also, and I didn't grieve his death. Because I felt like I was so overwhelmed with Scott's death. And I remember my mother saying, now, Mom, I don't know if you remember this. She said, after a few weeks, she said, I feel really guilty because I'm not grieving Matthew's death. And if Scott hadn't died, we'd be grieving Matthew's death more. Uh, absolutely. But it was so overwhelming to have two family members die at the same time that we did. I had to protect myself. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's so overwhelming. One loss at a time. Terribly. And then when my mother just died of lung cancer four or five years ago, five years ago now, um, 
I, I had a chance to prepare her death with her, and I mean, I wrote her a poem about dying, you know, and 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 gave it to her, and she goes, "What's this?" You know, and then and, and I said, "Well, what do you want to do for a funeral?" And mom, she goes, "I don't like churches. I go there for for to play bridge, you know." And and, and she said, "I hate those little uh, mortuary things too. They're just dumb." And and I said, "What do you want to do, mom?" I said, "How?" I said, "How about the the conservatory, the the um the poinsettias will be in bloom by the time you die?" And she said. Now that would be perfect. So that's what we did. We had it. We had the service, and she wanted a umpa five piece umpa pa band, brass band, <laughs> playing a closer walk with E like they do at the black New Orleans, New Orleans funerals. Oh, I that's love exactly that. Exactly what Second she wanted. Line. Did you guys carry umbrellas? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was, it was everybody. It was the most, most unique thing, and she wanted silver shaping dishes filled with White Castle hamburgers and. Oh my gosh. Oh, That's what we did. But we got to talk about it. And then when she died and she was talking to grandma and grandpa, she was seeing people. My, I was so great. My daughter was there and she's talking to grandma. I said, no, because they're there waiting for her. And then when my mom died, her husband and, and my sisters, we opened a bottle of champagne and said, goodbye mom. And, and it was, it was a lot easier than I ever, ever imagined. Wow. Because well, Mitch, you know, uh, it's almost time for our show to close. Yeah. And before we do close, uh, I wanted you to read uh, one of your poems for our audience. Part of it, uh, they'll have to get the book to, yeah, get, the to whole get the whole thing. Yeah, to get the rest. Can you tell us a little bit about the background of it and the name of the poem, and then just read us a little excerpt? Sure. Time. It's where do we go from here, and it's in the last part of the book, and it's for where we are in our grief. Well, you know, whether our first year, second year, third year, fifth year, twentieth year, some for everybody it's different, but we have to eventually realize where do we go from here, and how do we substantiate. Our, our, li- our lost loved one's life by the way we live ours. So it's, we boldly must share our love. Reach out to others without hesitation or dismay. Find the pain that lies so near and around us every day. Whether it's an old friend or an enemy or a relative or just a cashier at the store, there will be someone that will need you, and it's you who shall open the door. Be of service to yourself and with all the people that you meet. There are many paths to cross and many avenues and streets. There are people who desperately need your involvement in their sorrow just as you need them to face the next tomorrow. So if you think that God has overlooked you and has no overlooked you and has no idea that you are here, you must realize it's not that he's forgotten, it's you've forgotten that he's so near. Miracles of magic are never ever gone, they're always within our reach, just as the memories of our loved one and what they had to teach. They taught us love is unconditional. It's the strongest fiber in our being. So let loose, let go, let God, let love, let yourself and start a new beginning. When one door closes another opens somewhere be there oh that's I like that. fabulous i love it wonderful so it's uh it's uh it's climbing out of the pit and then trying to find uh what your bliss is what what is my purpose in life now and and it gives you actually gave me gave me more freedom to be myself by realizing that um the dead is not gone and and that I can grieve openly the rest of my life. There's nothing wrong with you know what you shouldn't be grieving anymore. Baloney. You know I can grieve whenever I'm missing him. Right. You know? And you won't always be in grief, but you will all I'll always be bereaved. Well, they always say in the therapy world, if you don't feel really sad, you can't feel really happy. Right. So yeah. maybe we have the ultimate uh, connection when we have these losses of siblings and children. And, and, and they have, and especially in the early yeah. years, like the Kenny Chelsea song, Kenny Chesney song, Sunny Days Seem to Hurt the Most. And they do because you feel guilty for enjoying the day. You right. know? Well, Mitch, thank you so much for being on the show.